From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. Step one to a career in the NFL is making your mark in college. And if you can turn enough heads during your time in places like the Swamp, you just might get a ticket to your next destination after hearing your name called by the commissioner with the world watching. For the Gators, anticipation is sky high to see where a host of stars are going, especially All-American tight end Kyle Pitts. On today's show, We'll find out firsthand what it's like to go through the draft process as we catch up with former Florida wide receiver and current Denver Bronco, Tyree Cleveland. Then, FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry break down where the top Gator targets are likely to go, potential steals late in the draft, and much more. But first, Tyree Cleveland is responsible for two of the most explosive plays in recent Gator history. But proving yourself to the NFL isn't as simple as what you put on tape. Projected as a late-round pick last year, the wide receiver had a lot of work to do to hear his name called in the draft. We spoke to Tyree about the draft process and what he's been able to share with the 2021 Gator draft class. It's, it's kind of funny, you know, because um, the pre-draft process, it was like kind of shocking, you know, just dealing with the COVID situation and then the thing we had, had to go through it as a draft class. And uh, me personally, um, I think I just... I persevered through that tough situation, that tough time. And um, I felt like I kept a level head throughout the whole process and always reminded myself just to stay focused and don't let my um, emotions get the best of me. You know, it's funny because I think the best thing you could probably compare it to is recruiting. But in recruiting, it's a bunch of people trying to make you choose them, whereas the draft is the opposite. They have to choose you. So uh, how do you prepare for that? What, were there similarities to recruiting at all? Uh, it's a similarity um, on both ends. You know, me personally, uh, I just went about it as in just trying to be honest, try to be myself, don't you, trying to be something I'm not. Um, just showing teams that I'm a got great character, I'm a great person, I'm a great team player. Um, I love to work. Uh, I love helping my teammates. I'm really just showing that I'm a team guy and just trying to show every GM that um, if you choose me, you guys are taking a guy that's going to work hard, a guy that's going to be a great teammate, and most important, a guy that's going to just lift his teammates up. Was it difficult to express that? Because I feel like so much of this is all about, you know, the pro days and combine and, you know, how high can you jump? I mean, the things you're talking about don't necessarily come through with those measurables. So, was it was it challenging to get teams to really get what you were about? Yeah, I, I would say that it was very challenging for me because um, my background is a little different from other guys. You know, I had a, a couple off the field issues, so it was um, kind of hard just to show teams who I really am and the per- person inside of me. And um, I tried my best to just show that I got a good heart. And um, I made mistakes as a um, younger adult. Um, I can't go back and fix that; it already happened. So me just trying to show them guys. Show the GMs that, um, yeah, I made a mistake and I learned from it. I just can't hold it over my head. So me personally, I was just trying to show them that uh, I have a good heart, a guy that's going to work hard, a guy that's going to, you know, don't take anything for granted. 
And most important, just, you know, like I said, a team guy, team player. What role did, did your college coaches play in helping you through this process? Because they've been through it with lots of guys. How important were they to helping steer you the, the right direction? Well, they helped me a lot. You know, uh, Billy G, my receiver coach, stayed in my ear. You know, he, it wasn't just about football. It was more about life lessons. And he just kept telling the guys in the room just that football will help you with life. And um, if you take that and run with it, you're going to go far in life. And he just told us to just – Treat everything as professionals. Uh, treat somebody like you want to treat your grandma, your sister, your mom. Like treat people the right way. So um, I learned a lot from Billy G as well as Dan Mullen and the rest of the coaching staff, um, Coach Knotts. Um, all those guys have really been in my ear just just telling me just to be myself and just, just have fun with it and just continue to learn and continue just to do the right things. So when you, when you get to the draft – Everyone, we're watching on TV, right? We have no idea where guys are going except for the people at the top. Do you have a sense of where you're going? Like, did you know, okay, I know that Denver and so-and-so are interested in me, or, I mean, is it random? How much insight do you have into where you might go? I honestly didn't have no insight. You know, it was like it was like going into something that you don't know the, the results, like, or what's going to happen. So me, I just took the situation as in, like, try to control what I can control if that makes sense mm -hmm. um just trying not to overthink it not trying to stress about it but at the same time just try to at least try to get a little insight but it was kind of hard you know so i just i just let everything play out so i'm sure you're sweating it out right we're getting toward late seventh round and it's it's right on the line of is this going to happen or, or am i going as a free agent what do you remember about when you got that call were you expecting that call or, or were you sort of resigned to not getting drafted? And then right there at the end, Denver comes in. Yeah. Uh, let me take you through the process. Uh, that, that whole day, you know, it, it's going down to the wire. I just remember myself um, just sitting in the living room with my family, looking at, looking at the draft and just, just waiting for my name to get called. But like through the whole process, through the whole time of that day, you know, I just try to t tell myself to just stay calm, keep faith in God because with him on my side, I knew he would never fail me. So, just just having faith and hearing my name would get called. I just had to keep my composure and um, try not to let my emotion get the best of me. And um, as it started winding down, I started talking to my auntie. Uh, I started talking to my uh, family. Family, and I was like, man, I don't know, man. It's not looking good. Uh, mm -hmm. So I took a walk outside. Uh, I started getting calls for, like, free agent jobs and stuff like that. Uh, but throughout the whole process i was just telling myself i know i know what i can do i know what i'm capable of i know the type of, type of player i am all i just want to do is just hear my name get called you know uh so as it started getting down to the wire you know um i got calls i got calls i actually got a call for the broncos and it was it was talking to me late late in the draft but they were talking to me way in pre-drafts interviews they were talking to me too so it, it ain't like it just came out of the blue but um make a long story short you know I was on the phone with the Broncos. I was on the phone with uh, a special team guy, Tom. And uh, and then I got on the phone with John Elway. And, um, <laughs> and, and, and i never forget that day. You know? It changed my life forever. A dream come true. A kid that had been playing football since he was five years old. And, and to be able to get his name called on draft day, it was a um, dream come true, man. It was unbelievable. First, second, third, last round. It, it didn't matter to me as long as I got my foot in the door. Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny. I laugh because I'm thinking, what was it? Was it Elway that called him? I mean, you've got 
There's a million GMs out there who the average person on the street has never heard of. Uh, but people know John Elway, right? So when you get a call from John Elway, I mean, what what does that mean to you? It was wild, you know, just couldn't know John Elway, uh, all the history behind his name and the player he was in the NFL. It's just, just hearing his name is just like, wow, I'm on the phone with John Elway. Like, that's crazy, you know? <laughs> like, so it was a shocking feeling, but I, I try not to let emotion get the best of me. You know, I try to stay stay under controls, try not to get too happy. But um, like I said, it was, man, it was a blessing. It was a, it was a blessing, for real. You know, you talked about the challenges of going through the draft process during COVID. Uh, I'm sure it was similarly challenging trying to start your NFL career during COVID. I mean, there's so many uh, off-season workouts, the mini camps for rookies. How challenging was it trying to not just start your career, but to make the roster as a seventh-round pick while all of this stuff was going on at the same time? Uh, me personally, I just took it as and just take it one day at a time, you know, not not try to do too much, but try to do as a lot as possible just to get the guys' attention and show them that I bring value to the team, whether it's that special team, offensive reps. So I just try to come in there every day and try to get better, learn, um, ask the veteran guys things in that matter, and just always just believing in myself. Like at the end of the day, in life, you just got to believe in yourself. I just believed in myself, kept faith, and kept working and kept working and kept stacking good days on good days trying to make the best out of my opportunity. And um, I felt like I did that. And um, as of me right now, it's still a lot to prove. It's still a lot to um, gain. It's still a lot to learn. I'm looking forward for the challenge. I'm looking forward to getting back out on the field. But to answer your question, man, it was it was, it was kind of tough to go through all that during COVID because there were a lot of different rules that played a part into it. So I felt like I persevered through, through some tough times I'm a guy that's competitive. I love to, I love to compete. I love to work. Um, so I just took it as a challenge and I just ran with it. You always like asking guys who are freshmen or sophomores to say, well, what was it like transitioning from the high school game to the college game? What were the biggest differences uh, for you going from the SEC to the NFL? I'm sure there's a ton of differences. Was there anything that surprised you in terms of that transition to playing at the next level? Oh, one of the things I say surprised me was like, um, everybody's way more smarter. You know, there's guys that know where they're supposed to be, where they're supposed to be, how to get there. So it, it came to it like a chess game. You know, you, know, you got to really study film. You got to watch film on your opponent. You got to uh, continue just to get an edge, you know, mm-hmm. on your opponent, get an edge on the people you're going against every week. So I, I'll say just the film study is the, the biggest adjustment I had to make going to the next level. Is it weird going up against guys who you've been watching for a long time, and then those are the the people you have to beat if you wanna if you wanna make a play? It was kind of weird, you know, like wow, I was just watching them on TV and now I'm playing against them. So it was like it was a, it was a surreal moment, you know, just just seeing old guys out there and guys that I looked up to, guys that I watched highlights multiple times, a thousand times. So just seeing them plays, just going against them, competing against them, it was great. You know, I love it. Were there any particular guys that that you think about? Like, oh man, that's I didn't think I'd be going up against him. I didn't play against him, but I, I watched him. But Xavier Howard, hmm. just watching him, you know, the career he uh, the career he had is amazing. Just just watching him and the way he go about his business. So just seeing him out there, um, as well as uh, who else? I'm trying to see uh, uh, Tyrone Matthew. That was one of the. Uh, Surreal moments right there, just seeing him on the field, just seeing how he treat every play and just how he take the game so serious. So 
just seeing that and finally get to play against him, it was wild. We know what the honey badger does, but we can't say it on this show because the this Yeah, yeah, we ain't gonna talk about we ain't gonna talk no about No expletive, that. yeah, no expletives on this show. Um so you're you're a Houston guy, right? Then you spent a lot of time in Florida. Now you're in Denver. I'm curious, uh, how have you adjusted to the cold and some of the other things that come with with being in the the Rockies? Uh, I mean, I had to just. Uh, <laughs> there wasn't no debate, no one trying to get out of it. So I just had to just take it take it all in. But um, at first, it was it was kind of weird, you know, because I came down here by myself. So I was here by myself. So um, just being alone, I would say. It was kind of a little shaky at first, but um, I'm not the type of guy that get homesick, not that much. So as far as that, you know, it's the city, you know, it's a vibe. You know, it's, it's it's quiet where I'm at, where I'm located. I love the snow, actually. Like, growing up, I always wanted to be in snow. So that's another dream that came true. There Just you go. being able to um, see snow every day, you know. So, I mean, like it's, it's crazy, you know, like, because, like, growing up, like, you see a lot of things on TV. Like, I'm a big guy. I watch a lot, watch a lot of TV, so. Just seeing a lot of things on TV at that then, like you can witness it in person, it's like it's like like wow, like the mountains here is beautiful. That's something you see on TV, but I'm standing in person, so right. That's crazy. So I, I love I love Denver. Have you gotten you have you done any skiing or snowboarding at this point or or no? Uh I went snow um snow tubing. Okay, cool. Yeah. I went snow tubing with uh friends. Um I went with my girl um and a couple of friends. So I mean that was great. I also I also wanna I wanna go snowmobiling. Oh yeah. Whenever I get yeah. the time, whenever I get get some free time, I wanna do that as well. So mm-hmm. but I mean that's the only thing I did was snow tubing because of COVID is there's a lot of stuff going on and a lot of stuff still locked down. So I, I haven't really got around the city yet, but I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to getting around. When you think back on your your time as a gator, I mean you were responsible for two of the you know, the, the biggest plays of the last you know decade, um, the 98 yard touchdown at LSU, and then the Hail Mary to beat Tennessee. Um, if, if you had to take one of those, which one goes on the wall? Uh, easy. I got to take Tennessee. I'll take the Tennessee because that the, the sequence, how it played out. <laughs> uh, so it's still surreal to me. It's still unreal to me. Just looking at it, every time I see it, it give me chills. I was just blessed to just to be in a position um, blessed the coach called to play. Just blessed I had an opportunity to win a game for my teammates. Speaking of those teammates, you, know, you came out at the same time as Van, Freddie, Josh. I mean, the, the four of you guys all had such great final years. Then you all went out into the league. Um, how much have you been able to keep up with those guys, especially as they've uh, you know spread around the country? We always stay in touch. You know, we call you guys as many times as we can, you know, with this busy schedule. But we always stay in touch. We got a group message. We we always testing each other, showing each other things like how to how to how to game win and stuff like that. So I mean, it's a brotherhood, you know. Most people when they get to college, they leave college and and they go about their lives. But we stay connected. We stay in touch. We um, continue to support each other. Continue to um, be there for each other through tough times, through good times. And um, I think that lasts a lifetime. That's something you cherish, like the moments we created in college. Even with Van, he came the last two years. Like we created a great bond with Van, and uh, all the guys like welcome him in like like it was his home. So I mean, I love being around those guys. I love talking to those guys. They my brothers. I know we're not blood related, but it seemed like we is. But <laughs> I mean, I love those guys. I wish the best for them. 
we're going to continue to support. We're going to continue to put on for the Gator Nation and um, just try to have fun with it. Have any of the, the current Gators that are getting ready for the draft reach out to you for any guidance, any advice, or anything like that? Yeah, I had guys in there, Trayvon Grimes, Kadaris uh, Tony, Donovan Steiner, Kyle Pitts hit me up a couple of weeks ago. Just asked me how the process was, how practice and stuff like that, and how everything, what's the biggest jump? from college to the league. So mm-hmm. just answering those questions and just giving feedback to those guys, you know, it just made me feel good inside because I know how bad they want it. I know how bad they've been working to get to the point they're at now. And it's just me being there already and going through the process and me just giving advice, you know, um, it feel good, man, just helping those guys out. How much interest do current NFL players have in the draft whether it's seeing where your old teammates are going to go, who some new players coming into your squad will be. I mean, is that something that, that NFL players are locked into or is that more of a everybody else kind of thing? Me personally, um, I don't really get into like, you know, all the uh, social media, all the, the guessing game. I call it the guessing game. So um, mm-hmm. I really don't try to get into it. I do look at NFL Network every morning. I do look at ESPN just to see, but I don't really – stick my face in there and just trying to see, oh, where he going, where he going. But <laughs> no, I mean, the way I, the way I look at it, you can only control what you can control. So I would really don't try to get into as much as like where he going to go, where he going to end up at. But um, I'm pretty sure I got a good guess uh, this year, Jeff, but I, ain't, I, ain't, I don't want to say nothing. <laughs> You're playing it close. You're playing yeah. it close. <laughs> Um, final question for you. You mentioned earlier you're a big TV guy, and, and if, since you went out to Denver alone during COVID, I'm sure you had a lot of time to hang out at home and, and entertain yourself. So I'm curious, what was on the queue? What what did you blow through on Netflix during the uh, the last year? Oh man, I got I got a couple shows. Um, the first one I would say Money Heist. You've I've heard, heard about that? that. I've heard about Money it, yeah. Heist, Breaking Bad. You did start to finish Breaking Bad? Yeah, start to finish Breaking Bad. Oh wow, that's that's intense. <laughs> that's a lot. Yeah, and I did. Um, uh, what else I did? I watched All American. Um, what else show I'm missing? Uh, Ozark. Wow, you did. You did like the full complement of dark shows. <laughs> yeah, I, I, like I love. I love TV shows. Like I, I love movies too, but I like TV shows a lot. So I mean, it's a it's a lot more that I watch. I I, I can't name them on top of my head, but it's a lot more. A- any comedies in there to break it up, or was it all really intense stuff? Yeah, I uh, watched uh, Mike L. Like Mike L. is one of my favorite comedians, so okay. I watched a couple of his shows on Netflix. It had me cracking up, man. It's always <laughs> it's always good to get a good laugh, man. Like when I'm feeling like down, or I'm feeling like like sad. I always go watch some Mike Epps, and he'll, he'll just cheer me up. Well, Tyree, you, you've cheered up a lot of Gator fans, so I know we're excited to hear from you on uh, on this episode. So good luck as you as you keep going with your career in Denver, and, and thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you. Thank you for having me, man. Appreciate you. Historically, few tight ends have been taken in the top five, but there haven't been many prospects quite like Kyle Pitts. The Phenom has taken an explosive junior season and married it with incredible showings at Pro Day and individual workouts, leading to the expectation he'll be off the board in record time. So before delving into the full Gator draft class with Scott and Chris, we begin by discussing the next destination for the Mackey Award winner. Most of what the experts are saying and what I've read and heard, it's, it's you almost look at this draft and there seems to be two sure things in this draft. Number one is Trevor Lawrence is going first overall to the Jags. 
Uh, and after that, Kyle Pitts is uh, kind of the most talented player in the draft for his position. Is almost certain to be a top 10 pick. I see him going as high as number four overall uh, on some of these mock drafts. He opened all this process really as being talked about as a top 10 high first round pick. So, but he slowly climbed a little bit lately. Uh, I think after pro day, people went ahead and said, you know what, as far as just the most talented player in this draft for his position, behind you know Lawrence, who's the consensus number one overall pick, it's Kyle Pitts. And I mean, for Florida fans, I mean, that's not going to surprise anybody. We, we saw this guy to be able to do what he did. And I mean, he was a dominant presence in that offense last year. Uh, he was he really blossomed his sophomore season. It's a cliche, the old man among boys. I mean, that's what he really was most of the time in 2020 for the Gators. And hey, we're talking about a guy who missed three and a half games, you know, partly yeah. due to the concussion and, and then is sitting out the LSU game at the end. I mean, he put up some amazing numbers. He was such a mismatch problem. No defense had a solution for him. Uh, so I, I think Kyle Pitts is that, that player that Florida fans kind of been waiting on one of those offensive stars, kind of a marquee player in the draft for him, and uh, that they haven't had one of those in a while. And now they have it with Kyle Pitts. So I, I think, you know, he's the guy that is right there. And if he goes in the top five, uh, don't be surprised, Adam. As far as the NFL draft goes, and as somebody who – did a lot of work during the NFL draft. It's always been pretty simple. I mean, if, if you're a real, if you're a, a franchise type quarterback, you're going to go high. If you're somebody who can tackle the franchise quarterback uh, in the case of a defensive end, you're going to go really high. If you're a guy who can protect the blind side of the franchise quarterback, you're going to go really, really high. It never is a tight end going to go as high as Kyle Pitts is going to go in this draft. And if it wasn't for these rocketing up the boards, of, of Zach Wilson from the quarterback from Brigham Young. And of course, uh, Mac Jones now from the Alabama court, Kyle Pitts would have had a chance to be drafted as high as any, uh, as, as any Gator in the modern era of football. Um, he's like no other player that's ever played his position. I think I've compared him. I think I've called him the Javon curse of tight ends um, just because of the size and the speed, the ability to go get the football, uh, incredible hands. Um, you heard it all season when, when, when people were talking, whether it was Dan Mullen talking about him, Kyle Trask talking about him, or, or announcers talking about him uh, during this last season. Uh, there's, there, there's no matching up with this guy, and uh, certainly not on the college field. Now he'll have uh, better athletes uh, defending him, but, uh, I mean, good luck linebacker, good luck strong safety uh, whatever you want to try to do, slot corner, try to try to jump down on the guy. He's going to have an advantage on everybody, and whoever gets him is going to have a serious um, new age kind of weapon. And I wouldn't be surprised to see somebody uh, maybe uh, uh, ante up uh, quite a bounty to maybe go up and try to chase him and get him. I'm sure there's some teams that are sitting in the war room right now saying, man, we, we need to try go get Kyle Pitts. Uh, without you know mortgaging our future, which it, that's that's something it may take in this particular draft to jump all the way up to number four. Uh, uh, I don't see him dro- uh, dropping below four. He's getting almost all the attention nationally when it comes to Gators. A guy who's in kind of the, the next category below that would be Kadarius Tony, who didn't generate the kind of headlines that 
Pitts did. But if you watched him play, especially this year, you saw a guy who, when you look at players in the NFL right now, these really dynamic guys like Tyree Kill, I mean, he seems like he could be, I don't know if you could say someone's a steal at the end of the first round, which is where he's projected, but I mean, he's got, I would think, top 10 kind of talent. He didn't generate uh, the attention, uh, or he's not generating attention, but he generated numbers. Yeah. He got better, man. He worked, and he got a lot better over the course of, of his career. And by the time uh, of his time was done at Florida, he was a tremendous route runner. Um, he sticks his foot in the ground, and he makes guys miss, and he he beats guys off the line. And I, I, give, I give him a lot of credit for uh for the for the player he became for his ability the, the way he's been able to improve as, as far as catching the ball and again he's he's gonna count as two guys on on a roster when you're on the NFL you look for diversity mm-hmm. uh in terms of what you can do and obviously he's gonna be a, a dynamic kick returner he's gonna be a slot guy he's gonna be a guy who's taking jet sweeps um he's gonna be basically he can do all the stuff that he did at Florida at the next level and uh I, I agree with you Adam I mean somebody you see him going like 30, 28, 29, 30, 32nd or something like that. I wouldn't be surprised if he went higher than that. But if a team gets him late in the first round, I, I think that's going to be a bargain. I'm sure Scott would agree. Yeah, I think what Kadarius Tony did his senior year, I think he's the kind of the new poster boy, at least for the Gators, in terms of, hey, look how much staying around and improving your craft and becoming a better player can actually help you uh, if you're thinking about coming out after your junior year. Because he's a guy that last year at this time, uh, no one saw him as a first-round pick. They saw him as an intriguing talent, mm-hmm. as a playmaker with the ball in his hands. But he uh, he really took advice from coaches and other people to uh, get better, to improve his route running, his hands, uh, his ability just to to be a every-down receiver. And he uh, you know he he worked a lot in the off season uh, during the pandemic, and he came back and. I mean, he looked to me like a different player. I mean, uh, again, I don't think there's there's probably no player in this draft uh, who improved his stock as much in one year as Kadarius Tony, because we're talking about him now as a late first round draft pick. And you know, you always thought he might be a gadget player in the NFL if he got drafted. You know, maybe later rounds, maybe uh, you know somebody takes a flyer on him. But now they're talking about him being a you know a marquee receiver in the league and. He's been mentioned as a first-round pick almost through the whole draft process here the last couple months. Uh, I don't think he's going to fall much below that if he does, but it'll be interesting to see if the, he can go into first round. Uh, we talked about quarterbacks a moment ago when discussing Kyle Pitts. Obviously, for Florida, that's Kyle Trask in that department. Uh, this is his entire career, right? He's always the guy that is not talked about behind much flashier, higher-profile players. And here he is again in the same situation where you have a guy like Mac Jones, who is now being talked about, I think, going to, number, going to San Francisco at number three. They've become enamored with him to trade up. But you don't hear people talk about Kyle Trask. So from everything that, that you've been able to glean in terms of pro day and, and the chatter out there, what do we think the draft holds for Kyle Trask? I think some team is going to really get a, a nice player who can stay in the league for a decade uh, wherever they take him. I, I mean, it sounds, looks like to me, Adam, he's going to be a second uh, day pick, obviously, second or third round. That's where he's projected. Um, you know, you, you're talking about when I see these lists of quarterbacks, and I mean, you know, 
Trevor Lawrence, he's number one. No issues there, obviously. Justin Fields, you know, Zach Wilson, Mac Jones, Trey Lance. Now I've seen even some people rating Kellen Mond of Texas A&M above Trask. I'm thinking to myself, I don't know if I'm dropping Kyle Trask below Kellen Mond. Maybe Kellen Mond fits an offense here or there better. But it's parallel to his whole career. Uh, This is who Kyle Trask has been uh, since he was a kid. You know, he's always been the underdog. So I think – I don't think this is phasing him at all. I mean, you know, it's different stakes now because – Obviously, the higher you go in the draft, uh, the more money you can make. He's going to be fine either way. But I, I just think Kyle Trask is going to go in and he's going to work like he did at Florida. He's going to learn. He's going to be a guy that we're going to be talking about, you know, I think NFL for a while. I think he, I think he'll end up being a good player. I just think that in the, in the moment, you know, the buzz, Kyle Trask has never been a, a hype kind of guy. I mean, that's just – not who he is. He he doesn't wow you, and I, I guess maybe that's what some of the uh, personnel uh, are going by on the ratings. I mean, he, he's a guy that he's a traditional drop back passer, a little different kind of player than the 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 in quarterback right now, if you will. So I think some of those things are working maybe against him in the big picture. But I think we all know the game evolves, and it only takes one team who really. Uh, wants that kind of quarterback. And if I recall correctly, the team that won the Super Bowl last year has that kind of quarterback. So there's going to be a place for Kyle Trask in the NFL. And when he gets it, uh, I look for him to to make his mark. I think the thing that's probably holding him back a little bit is, I mean, he he, he doesn't have the strongest arm. He's, a, he's, he's more of a touch thrower, I think. And I think the NFL is truly, truly enamored with uh, with arm strength. He's, his, his mobility is, is, you know, in – in this particular game, the way it's going, they, they want guys that can move a little bit. And when you're coming from that spread to maybe be able to take off and, and make a little something out of nothing. And from that standpoint, that's probably uh, where he's ranked where he is. But I tell you one thing that, um, that front offices won't have to worry about, you know, you draft a guy and you worry about his patience and is, will he be content being, and will he work hard if he's not playing? Well, uh, th- that box has been checked in spades as far as uh, Kyle Trask is concerned. They know they have a guy who will, who will be patient and do his diligence and do what he's told uh, if the spotlight is not on him and do everything he has to do behind the scenes to get ready when his time comes. That's already baked into the Kyle Trask cake, and um, that's why somebody is going to take a chance on him, I imagine, like Scott says in the second day. Those are the the highest profile players that I think uh, that Florida has on the board. But there's a bunch of other guys that are likely to get picked at some point throughout the three days. So, Scott, I know you wrote a whole blog on this on FloridaGators.com, which I encourage people to check out. But kind of run through the the rest of this group here and, and our expectations for them. You know, the, the three guys we talked about, they are the, the top three. I was One thing that caught me a little by surprise in the grading of the Gators prospects, believe it or not, a guy who's jumped ahead of Kyle Trask is Stone Forsythe in terms of just his position. And Chris said it earlier, guys who can play left tackle and protect the quarterback, they're automatically going to be valued high. I think that's where Stone Forsythe fits because, you know, he, he's a guy that is really good at pass blocking. You know, the, the knock on him has been his ability to, as a run blocker, but he was very good at pro day. His measurables are excellent. I mean, he's a guy that stands, what, 6'7", 3'20", three, three or so. 
moves pretty well for a big man. So he's he's good. he could be, I think, number three off the board. Uh, if the right team comes along, he could go above Trask. It's hard to it's hard to figure. I mean, you just you just never know. I'm just going by the points uh, that the NFL uses in terms of their uh, their prospect breakdowns. Uh, but after him, Sean Davis uh, is a guy that you know most expect to go in the middle rounds. Him and Marco Wilson, a couple defensive backs. You know, we talked about Marco after pro day. Uh, he probably uh, helped himself as much as anybody with the Gators on that specific day with that vertical jump in his 40 times. Uh, on the flip side, Sean Davis, you know, he ran the 40 and hurt his hamstring uh, that day, so he was unable to finish the workout. But uh, evidently he's tested okay since then, did some workouts for specific teams. So I think you're going to hear both of those guys uh, come off the board. So that's about a half a dozen Gators right there. I think you can say, okay, you, you know they're gonna you're going to hear their names called. I think Evan McPherson, the kicker, uh, I think he's going to get drafted according to everything I've read. Uh, he seems, you know, we saw it at Florida. He made about 85% of his kicks. He's got accuracy. He's got distance. He was, if there's one guy on this list who did leave school after his junior year and kind of surprised me, it was a little bit with him. Well, I think it was probably a smart decision. And then after that, you know, a lot of Donovan Steiner, uh, Brett Hagee, the offensive lineman, Kyrie Campbell. There's 12 players who are listed either as uh, draft prospects or priority free agents. T.J. Slayton's another one. And I'm gonna, the last guy I'm going to talk about is the guy who I, I'm surprised that is down this low, and that's Trayvon Grimes, the receiver. You know, he's dropped to where a lot of people have him late round or maybe a priority free agent. I remember uh, during the season, whenever his name came up in the draft, you heard, you just automatically figured, okay, mid-round guy. I don't know if he's a first or second rounder, but he's going to be a mid-round guy. Uh, he's going to be a really good pick for somebody. And it, he's one of the players who I think has got chewed up in the evaluation grinder that you know happens for basically four months from the end of the season uh, to now. The When you read his breakdown from the NFL.com, I mean, it's very technical talking about, you know, hip movement and route running and linear routes and blah, 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 blah. Chris <laughs> probably Chris probably can dissect that more. I just know that Trayvon Grimes, to me, is a really good football player. By the way, Scott, I, I don't I don't like that stuff at all. <laughs> uh, when, when, when I was covering the Bucks, the general manager of the first few years was Rich McKay, someone Adam is – uh, familiar with being the Falcons president and former, I guess he's, he's still president or CEO of the Falcons yeah, right he now. He was the GM. He's not right. Here. That's right. However, he, he told the story where uh, when he first became the GM of the Bucks, the uh, the head of the te the scouting department and and player personnel was a guy by the name of Jerry Angelo, who went on to become general manager of the Bears uh, when they went to the Super Bowl uh, in the mid in the mid two thousands, about two thousand six, I guess. Mm -hmm. But uh, they were evaluating a particular prospect, and Jerry Angelo says, "I don't like his trunk adjustment," and. And Rich McKay slammed his defense. Damn it, Jerry! What the hell is trunk adjustment now? Look, I mean, look at the tape. Look at the tape. Let's see and evaluate with the tape. I put the tape on a Trayvon Grimes, and I see a guy who beats his guy, who goes up, gets passes, comes down, makes difficult catch, makes first downs. Um, and I know, I know, it's more complicated than that when you're projecting 
from the Southeastern Conference to the AFC East. Okay, I, I, I understand all that, but it that goes into it too. And production of the player, um, you know, against co- high-level competition. And certainly um, uh, Trayvon Grimes did that. He made plays against Georgia. He made plays against Alabama. He made plays against South Carolina, who has uh, uh, J.C. Horn, one of the best cornerbacks in the draft, if I'm not mistaken. So if he's around in the fourth, fifth, or sixth round, I mean, that, come on now, that's that's a steal. One of the reasons Kyle Trask is going to go in the second or third round is because he had such great wide receivers around him the last two seasons. And Trayvon Grimes obviously has been a big part of that, not just this past season, but the season before. Yeah, someone's going to get a great player if they draft Trayvon Grimes. And if you can get him in the sixth or seventh round, the value there, that'll be that'll be some kind of steal. Um, and, and we see those all the time. I mean, again, I don't know if you guys have heard this before. It's a little known fact that Tom Brady was actually a late round draft pick himself. It's a, you know, it's a story that hasn't been told that often. Um, but Chris, I know you're working on a story about uh, some of those later guys and how they ended up playing down the road. What can you tell us about that and the uh, charting those paths? No, but I just did a thing on a charting the Gators uh, post um, for the website this, this week. Just look at some of the players you know, in, up until 1993, the draft was 12 rounds. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yes. And then, the you know, hell, uh, the Gators had a guy picked in the 28th round back in 1959. Um, but uh, with the when the collective uh, bargaining agreement was made in 93, it, it cut it cut the draft from 12 uh, to, to seven rounds. I mean, like I want to say in, in 92, Brad Culpepper was a I believe a 10th round draft pick by the Minnesota Vikings and ended up, you know, having a pretty damn good career. I think he had 10 sacks the year that the Bucks went to the Super Bowl in 1999. Um, and, you know, I, I just I said, you know, let's go back and look at who are these players. I said, I mean, it, it wasn't just a few years ago that the NFL decided, okay, we're going to make this, we're going to go all out, make this draft total TV, prime time, first round, Thursday night, second, third round, Friday night, and we'll all go all day Thursday. So I said, okay, from fourth round on, who are are some of the best players to ever be taken um, out of of the University of Florida? And to me, the the runaway first uh, was Trent Brown, the offensive lineman who went in the seventh round. I mean, I don't know how many games he played here off the top of my head, to be honest with you, because he was a junior college player who came here with Muschamp. Um, I think he played uh, – uh, he started a few games. He didn't start a bunch of games, if I'm not mistaken. But he was taking 244th. And a couple of years later, after after being cut or traded, I, I, his story kind of escapes me here. But he ended up in New England, and he was the blindside protection for Tom Brady when he won a Super Bowl. I think he also signed a $66 million contract not long after that, by yeah, the way. Yeah, massive deal. Alex Brown, people remember him uh, making history uh, with his five sacks uh, against Tennessee – Tennessee came to the swamp as defending national champions in 1999. He was he was a first team All American, I believe, twice. He and he might have been SEC Defensive Player of the Year one year, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, uh, he he was a fourth round pick, believe it or not, 104th overall. He went to the Bears, ended up playing in a Super Bowl, had a couple good years in New Orleans. Jeff Mitchell was a starting center for the uh, for the Gators on Spurrier's national championship team in '96. 
but got hurt late in the year. I want to say maybe it was, I mean, I've been to Georgia game. I think he, I think he broke his leg and wasn't around. They ended up having to go to a little known, this would be a good trivia question. Who's the starting center when, when Danny Werfel first snapped a uh, shotgun and his name was Wiley Rich, a kid from Santa, uh, Alachua, Santa Fe, right up the road. But he took Jeff Mitchell's place. Jeff Mitchell ended up being a, a fifth round pick. He was also the starting center for the Ravens when they won their Super Bowl. But Chauncey Gardner Johnson, fourth rounder. Uh, Demarcus Robinson was a fourth rounder. Um, a guy by the name of Jason Odom was a, f- a fourth rounder by the Bucks and um, ended up starting on their offensive line until a back injury put him out. So just I just went down a list. I, I picked ten of them. Some of them you may agree with. Some of them you may not. But there's some uh, there's some names that maybe been ob- obscure. Uh, to current uh, Gator fans, but not so much maybe to some longtime Gator fans, just something to look at and maybe something to read while they're count while Mel Kuyper's uh, talking about the uh, uh, slot cornerback from um, Wichita state or whatever. <laughs> yeah. The draft's always funny when, uh, when you talk about obscure players or whatever I was, when I was putting together that list last night, I'm thinking, who am I missing here? Who am I missing? Hey, you know, Brad Stewart's not on, you know, the, the list because, He's not really uh, registering with the NFL.com, their scouting service uh, that lists all their prospects. But if you had to say who had the biggest play since Dan Mullen got here, it might be Brad Stewart, right? It's probably him. It just shows you how how what, what's done in college and how it translates to the NFL. It's just, it's just such a tricky business, man. Yeah, very different things. And, and, all these, and all these teams are looking for different things, right? And that's the, the whole idea is, oh, well, you know, so-and-so is being projected as a first-round pick, but only by two teams. Well, all it takes is one. All it takes, all it is, takes one. is one out of 32 that believes in you, and that, you know, that can change and, everything. And more and more than more than anything, it's it's about the fit. Because right. yep. you could you could be a massive – I mean, I, we used to talk about it all the time. I mean, uh, the, the Bucks had a run of first-round busts that were top five, top ten picks. And you know why they were busts? Because they went to the Bucks. <laughs> and the Bucks right. were a bad team, it's like 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 forever, and right. you know. But so so one of the things is is where you go and the culture you go to, and how much is expected of you right the way right away. Because if you're a, a, a first round defensive end and you go to give me a bad team right now off the top of your head, come on, I mean, Cincinnati. Uh, that's a perfect example because look at the expectations. You're not saving that franchise. You could be the first pick. You know, Joe Burrow had all the expectations in the world, and yet, and yet, you know, he was doing pretty well. He got injured. The, uh, you could go back to remember Kajana Carter was the first pick overall by the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, uh, I, you know, look at Jamarcus Russell. Just they, these were great college players that went to really bad teams, and then their flaws uh, uh, were manifested themselves and came out because th- there, there was so many flaws around them for the organization they're in. So fit is really important. I mean, the, the better culture you go to, um, the better you're probably, the better off you're going to, you're probably going to be in the trajectory of your productivity and your, and your NFL career is going to look a lot better. There's no shortage of draft content, especially as it relates to the Gators, available on FloridaGators.com from Scott and Chris. So we recommend that you check that out. And then uh, we'll see how it shakes out on uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. We'll talk about it more next week. I want to jump into our PAT now. And uh, I was inspired by uh, the news on Tuesday that the Pioneer League, which is an independent baseball league that's a partner of Major League Baseball. It's not an official. It's not like a double A, a triple A. Uh, but they have come up with a creative new way 
to end games that are headed for extra innings. So instead of extra innings, they're going to have essentially a home run derby to determine the winner if you're still even after nine innings. So it's a back and forth. Each guy gets five swings. Whoever hits more homers, that team wins. If it's tied, then someone else comes. Then it goes sudden death until someone wins. It's essentially penalty kicks, but baseball. Um, Is this a good idea? Is this a bad idea? Should we be coming up with wacky ways like this to end games that are tied uh, before they reach their their natural conclusion? So if the super so if the Super Bowl ended in a tie this past year, um, the in regulation, so you have Tom Brady and and Patrick Mahomes in a one of those Dr Pepper halftime contests at the, at the conference championship where they <laughs> no where they're throwing the ball into the oh yeah the, can. the thing yeah, yeah. Or, or maybe you have a Maybe you have a like a, a kicker has to be in the stands and it would be like that uh like that uh Larry Bird Michael Jordan McDonald's commercial where yeah. they got to bounce the kick a ball off a goalpost or something. You know you know I'll tell you what. First of all, I never watched the XFL okay ever, but I think they had an overtime. Each team got three downs. Okay, uh, the first was from the one yard line for one point. The second down was from the five yard line for two points, and they alternated. And the third one was from the 10 yard line for three points. And that's, it's different, but it's football at least. Uh, home run derbies, that's, it's, it's, that's, not, that's not baseball, that's circus. Um, mm, yeah. That's, that's all star Friday night and doesn't do anything for me. Yeah, I mean, it's a, to me, it's a stupid idea uh, that the Pioneer League has come up with. Uh, you know, unfortunately, I think, ba- I think there's a pandemic right now in baseball of stupid ideas, kind of like the runner on second. I mean, you know, as someone, and we've talked about this, as someone who really enjoys the game and loves the the, the game, the part of the reason why I love baseball is that linear history from 1876 to now, where, yeah, the game has changed over the years. Some of the rules have changed. But now you're putting a guy on second to start extra innings it, it takes away so much of the strategy in terms of pitching and and other factors, and then of course the home run contest or the you know the home runs contest, the side games. I mean, I guess the Pioneer League re- home run record could fall in a week now. You know, if <laughs> I, if they go five to four, about five or six straight games, some guy might have thirty home runs by the end of the week. I mean, come on, man! If you're going to go along rules like this, and since the hot dog eating contest that is done in Coney Island is so popular each year. Why don't at the end of a football game, NFL that is tied, everybody's tired. Let's not risk any more injuries. Let's just bring both offensive lines out, the five big guys on each team, and start loading hot dogs. Whichever side can eat the most hot dogs without the first guy puking wins the game. Beer How's chugging, that? beer chugging contest. Yeah, well, you could chug the beer with the hot dog but the the real the winner is going to be which offensive line can stuff down the most hot dogs without puking well then every offensive line is going to be on injured reserve the next week <laughs> <laughs> that's the one that i'd love to see enforced adam we had top golf at ben hill griffin stadium this week how about a closest right. to the pin contest or something this is funny you get we're talking about this because i just finished last night this you guys are for i don't know if adam's familiar with i know chris is the the 1981 33-inning baseball game between the Paul Tuckett Red Sox and the Rochester Red Wings, the longest professional baseball game in history. You know, you remember that, Chris, right? I don't, actually. 
Okay, well, the 40-year anniversary was last week. Uh It was in April of 1981. Uh, Wade Boggs was one of the players (laughs) on Paul Tuckett. Cal Ripken Jr. was one of the players on Rochester. Uh, They played – I wonder if that's counted in in his 2000-game streak, playing in the 33-inning game. No, I'm I'm (laughs) sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. (laughs) But, I mean, it was just fascinating to read because times were different. But they – you know, at the end of – like the 14th inning, you know, it was like, no, it was later than that. Like the 20th inning, it was like 1250 local time. Or one of the uh, officials for one of the teams knew that the internationally had a rule that said you cannot start a new inning after 1250 PM local time. Well, the umpire who was a stickler for the rules when they said that to him, he says, that's not right. So he pulls out his 1981 umpire's, handbook oh, wow. from internationally and somehow that paragraph they accidentally cut it from the previous version <laughs> every ver every version of that that rule book had had that paragraph in it except that year so huh. they kept playing they kept playing until four in the morning and finally you know they 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 hold they finally get a hold of the international league commissioner in columbus ohio and he says you're still playing what inning 32 innings Shut it down. Get home. Get some sleep. <laughs> in the morning. So they come back and finish the last inning two months later. And by that time, it was a national story. Every major news station was there. But the night that they actually played the 32 innings, by the end of the game, there were 19 people who had sat in the stands for eight hours and 20 minutes. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It seems we have no fans of the Pioneer League's alternative approach to extra innings here, which is not a huge surprise. But, you know, sometimes you have to ask the questions, find out where everybody stands. Uh, luckily, everybody knows where you guys stand on the NFL draft because all that content is up on FloridaGators.com for people to read. And, of course, as the draft is going, they will be updating which Gators are going, where are they going, what does that look like? Gators Scott, Gators Chris on Twitter. Uh, gentlemen, thank you so much. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Adam. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Stay up to date on everything going on with the orange and blue at FloridaGators.com, and we'll be back next Thursday with an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Please stay safe and go Gators.